Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Cause Marketing Forum and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at CauseUpdate.com and SelfishGiving.com. Now on to today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Joe Waters and I want to welcome you to another episode of Cause Talk Radio. I'm on the line, of course, with Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hey. Megan, we have one of our top and most frequent guests on the line today. I know. It's so exciting. So excited. After seeing here at Cause, you know, one of the great things about the Cause Marketing Forum Conference is we basically get a whole lineup of people out of the conference. Right, we go to the conference. We see all these people that we saw last year. And we say, "Hey, we need to have you on Cause Talk Radio." But we have a great reason to have this guest on because they have some exciting new cause marketing research. And on the line is crowd pleaser Molly Ray, president of Full Momentum, <laughs> an Atlanta-based cause well, agency. Hey, guys. hey, how's it going, Molly? Hello, hello. I'm doing great. How, thanks so much for having me today. What'd you think of the conference this year? Uh, I loved hearing all about those cause disruptors. It was um, it was great to hear all the new ideas that are going out there. Very motivational. Yeah, that's right. So it's always it's always fun to see you, Joe. That's I always know. a highlight. I know. And you, I want to tell you, Molly, so that all our listeners know, you are an incredible dancer. I mean, <laughs> when I ever I saw you, whenever I saw you on the dance floor, I mean, you were amazing. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't even remember that. That's, see, that's the <laughs> thing. That's the thing. But we are not here to dance. There was no dance. dancing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Then what? You're like, was there dancing? She had to think about it for a that's second. Right. There. She had to think about it. But uh, the timing of Trick having question. the timing of having you on the show was actually uh, really fitting because at the conference you released a new uh, piece of research on uh, U.S. nonprofit executives responsible for selling cause partnerships, and it's called the Nonprofit Partnership Sales Cycle Research. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about why did you do this research and what's it all about? I tell you, I have been um, in the cause marketing sales field for literally decades. And so, no, um, no. you know, I have... <laughs> yeah, I started decades? in kindergarten. The way you dance, there's no <laughs> way that you you to that limber still. <laughs> well, one of the things that um, my boss used to always ask me and my board members used to always ask me back when I was in the nonprofit sales side um, is, you know, okay, so you're going to go sell sponsorship. How long is it going to take? Mm. And, you know, I sort of thought that was just a question that I was getting until I became we became an agency. And now all of our clients are struggling with answering this question for their board and for their management. So, you know, everybody's like, show me the money. How long is it going to take? And, um, you know, I have a, I had my own gut level feeling of how long it takes and some different factors that influence that. But I thought it would be a good idea to open up that conversation with other leaders in the marketplace. So a couple years ago, I just did an informal survey with a handful of my um, friends and peeps from being in the industry for so long and asked their perspective. And it was so well received and, and people found it valuable. So this year, we decided to do a full-blown research study um, to really get a much broader perspective from a number of, of key decisions makers or key sales folks, if you will. Um, so we actually went out and we were able to secure over 50 responses to our survey. Um, and great. so, 
yeah, we from a lot of and it was all nonprofits, right, Molly? Yeah, it's it's only non. You know, the the audience was strictly nonprofit professionals who sell sponsorship. And we, you know, in those 50 organizations are leading organizations, you know, everyone from American Cancer Society to YMCA and a lot of great initials in between. <laughs> so lots of yeah. leading. So you're talking bigger organizations, though, too, yeah. right? I mean, those are the bigger organizations that actually have teams that do this stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so we asked our respondents as well, like how long they had been in the field, how many organizations they had represented. And actually, um, even though it was 50 respondents, they had represented over 110 nonprofit organizations. So I think we really got a wow. nice, broad perspective, not just not just one organization's experience, but really a broad perspective of what what all of us in the nonprofit um, cause partnership sales field are, are facing. And what did you find out? Did was your gut correct? Uh, yes, uh, there were several things that were that my instincts were correct. See, Molly's always right. <laughs> Shit, Molly's always right. <laughs> Yeah. But but there were lots of things, and seriously, lots of things that um, were, were reinforced, but lots of things that, you know, I asked that I didn't know the answer to, and they were very, very enlightening. So I will share with you some of those highlights. Tell me how you want me to just sort of rattle off some of the top findings, or well, how would you like me to? Let's talk first yeah. about the, what you started out with, which was the time required to secure sponsorships. So let's talk about that first. What what were people saying? Okay. And, I, and I know you kind of split this into different levels, so maybe you want to talk us through the different types of partnerships that you looked at. Sure. Let me give you just a teensy bit on the methodology to explain that. So yeah, we really, we defined um, partnerships in three different categories. So we looked at what we call what we defined as sponsorship, and we defined sponsorship as um, a, a partnership or a relationship that is primarily a cash exchange, or maybe maybe an in kind contributed sir, you know goods and services. Um, but the nature of the relationship is primary. Um, primarily focused around one activity like sponsoring a walk or um, something that is very that, you know, focused on that one type of exchange, whereas we, we separated out and asked questions also about what we, we defined as integrated partnerships. And that's what we defined as, you know, a relationship that is more um you know, robust in terms of both the nonprofit partner and the corporate partner activating the partnership. So they're both bringing their assets to bear and they are both marketing it actively and there's more than just a, a check being written. It's actually, you know, a lot of, of mutual integration. And then the third type of partnership that we looked at, there's just so much research that shows that more and more companies are interested in engaging with nonprofits around employee-directed uh, partnerships and how uh, corporate partners can activate their employee base to support nonprofits. So we also asked uh, about that type of partnership as well. And um, Megan, to your point, what we found is, you know, the, the biggest sort of overarching comment that could be made is that, of course, the time required does vary across the different types of partnership. But what is consistent is that the larger the partnership, we asked about partnerships that are, um, you know, $100,000 or less or partnerships that are between $100,000 and 250000 and then partnerships that are more than 250000 And so the, the big conclusion is that the larger the ask, the longer the close cycle. So, in fact, you know, if you are looking to secure a partnership at the $250,000 level, you need to really budget between 7 and 18 months, Um 
in, in, in time to close that deal. You're not going to be able to close it on a dime. Um, so, you know, I know if you, if you, if the, if the listeners are interested in actually downloading the full study that we can break that down a lot further, it's kind of hard to articulate all of that in a radio interview, but there, uh, we really break, yeah. we break down those details into a, a lot of additional, you know, levels of information, but the, the big is- headline would be. Yeah, it takes a long time, which I I can just imagine our nonprofit listeners right now having a giant collective sigh of relief because they're thinking (laughs) it's not just me that it takes 18 months to close a giant deal. So (laughs) I I think this is such valuable, valuable information. And you do have lots of great other data. And we we will link to that in the show notes. What other findings did you did you come up with that you felt like were so important to share? Well, another another factor um, that is is sort of a hidden factor, but those of us who are in sales understand how this works. And that is that no matter what the size of the partnership and what the style, whether it's a sponsorship or an integrated partnership, if you are working with a warmer lead, it closes faster. So, um, for example, if you are, our research showed that if you're renewing an existing partner's commitment, 80% of the respondents said they can do that in six months. You know, it's, you know, it's a matter of going to your good partner who understands your mission and negotiating your next year's agreement, you know, so the old bird in the hand, you know, it, that sort of thing. And, um, but the, the colder the lead gets, the longer it takes to close. So the, the categories we asked about were, you know, renewing existing commitments. Um, what happens if it's an inbound prospect? How long does it take if it's a board relationship or staff introduction or something like that? Um, the fourth segment was what if you're upselling, um, you know, a previous relationship to, you know, maybe taking someone from a sponsorship to an integrated partnership, or what if it's a cold call? And what really jumped out in the research is that, um, you know, the colder the lead, the longer the close. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, you know, so many of our organizations, you know, we have to cold call to, we don't have just a ready list of partners that are, you know, banging on the door to partner with us and we're reaching out and introducing ourselves. And you should budget um, more than 18 months for closing a cold deal. About 40% of our respondents said that it takes them more than 18 months to close a cold lead. No, I believe it. I mean, you know, one of the things, and you and I have talked about this before too, Molly, is, you know, the idea, especially with nonprofits is, you know, they work in kind of a prospecting circle with their potential partners in terms of really targeting those people at the center that are like their hottest prospects that they know the best so that they can build some confidence and experience to work to those other circles. Because as I know, you've instructed me before, it's really hard to reach out right from the get-go with cold calls and expect you're going to land something very quickly. Yeah. And, and, you know, so one of the things that I feel very um, honored by is that, you know, when we did do this sort of lighter version of the survey a couple of years ago, when I shared it with my with my clients, some of them were using, you know, the findings to defend, you know, and to present more realistic expectations Mm. to their management and to their boards. And they said that it was just invaluable to help to educate about what are real realistic expectations because, you know, the old adage, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, sometimes, 
You know, right. it's not that the mm-hmm. idea is bad or that the partnership isn't going to take place. It just takes time. And so if you know in yeah. advance mm-hmm. that you need to factor that. And then the other point I wanted to make, Joe, was something that you just said, which is that, you know, it's also mm-hmm. a cry for so often nonprofit uh, sales folks, especially the more junior ones, they, they think, oh, well, I've got this great partner. I wouldn't possibly want to ask them for more because they're already doing so much. Mm. But the reality is you know, the more they know you, the more they're going to want to do. And that's going to be your fastest way to close a new partnership or an expanded mm-hmm. partnership with with someone who's already committed to your mission. So, you know, don't don't treat it as, well, gosh, we can't ask them for anything else. Treat it as an open-ended discussion of, you know, what are your needs and goals for the coming year and how can we turn that into a more, more robust partnership together? And so, you know, as you yeah. were sort of describing these mm-hmm. circles, you know, you want to be mm-hmm. working prospects in each of these circles. You want to be looking at your existing partners and how to grow them, and you're going to be wanting to look at uh, introductions that you can ask your board to make for you or other staff members. And then then if you aren't working your cold prospect list, then you're going to be really let down when all of a sudden you've worked through all of your friends and now, now what, (laughs) you know, so at least if you've been working them all along, then, you know, you'll be further along in selling them. Well, there's some other factors that sort of play into that partnership cycle. And one of the things you found had to do with a nonprofit's brand and its mission. So can you talk to us a little bit about that particular finding? Hmm. So, Megan, we wanted to understand, we know that it's not just timing and it's not just, you know, who you know. There are a lot of different factors that go into whether or not a company is going to sponsor you. And so we wanted to get some um, some input from, you know, from our key salespeople as to what their experience has been. And we asked about a number of factors, you know, how how does the decision, how is the decision impacted by your brand awareness or your mission fit or your organizational readiness to to actually conduct a partnership or to fulfill the partnership. Um, so we asked about a lot of different factors, and the two that came in almost neck and neck um, was the nonprofit's level of brand awareness and the mission fit with the organization. And it's interesting because um, mm. we did a flip side of this research in 2015, asking the corporate decision maker what factors influence them to want to select a nonprofit partner, and mission fit also came up as the number one factor from the corporate perspective. So this is not really surprising. It's just interesting mm-hmm. when you put the two studies side by side. So I want I want to say, you know, I think right. there's a misnomer that, you know, that, oh, well, just, just the big famous nonprofits are able to get partners. Well, that's not necessarily true. Um, it's, it's really, no, right. you know, the, the corporate partners are looking for those organizations that have the right mission fit. And so you really need to, mm. you really need to think about your prospect pipeline and not be going after corporations that really don't have anything to do with your mission because you're selling, you know, an uphill battle there. And we should give a shout out, Megan, to our last episode uh, when we talked to a Brendan expert about uh, brand twist and how to build your brand. And we talked about that with small businesses and nonprofits and how they can kind of stand out in a crowded space. So, Molly, why did you find that partners turn down cause partnerships? Like what was the most common reason for turning down a partnership? Yeah. So we wanted to ask that. And, you know, uh, uh, this is one of those where 
my answer didn't turn out to be the answer I thought it was going to be because I thought for sure the answer would be the price. Well, the price is not right. <laughs> mm. But in fact, the number one reason why um, why it was turned down is because the company has a previous commitment to another partner, and so they need you know they mm. need time to to integrate new ideas into their plan. Um, the the right. second most, mm-hmm. uh, the, the second highest objection was, was a lack of mission fit. So again, sort of, you know, dovetailing off mm. what we learned before, they have to say no because it just really doesn't fit within their mission. And then the third, the third factor was price, <laughs> which is what, you know, the one I just. Ah, you know, one of the things, uh, Megan and Molly, whenever I talk to companies about cause marketing programs is, you know, a lot of times they say, I don't work with anyone uh, because I don't want to have to work with everyone. And, you know, I often tell them, it's like, well, work with someone, then you have, you know, you can go back to people and say, hey, you, what you're saying sounds like a great idea, but we're already working with this partner. Exactly. So it sounds like that excuse is being readily used. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, and, and, it's a, and it's a good one, but if you're sitting across the table as a nonprofit and a company says that to you, Molly, how do you usually advise your nonprofit clients? What do you tell them to say in response to something like that? Well, what, what I would tell them is first and foremost, I just want to clarify that the number of, of rejections or objections on this previous commitment, you might be surprised to hear is 30%. It's not 90%, you know, so mm. a third of the time, mm-hmm. a third of the time, they're going to say no because they have a previous commitment. So that means two thirds of the time, that's not going to be an objection. So the first thing I would, the good. first thing I would tell my clients is, you know, hey, don't give up, you know, because you, you need to, you need mm-hmm. to keep working on this. Um, again, a highlight from our other research, which is a little bit cheating, I guess, if you're looking at just this first survey, but it's so important to mention is that we asked, you know, we asked corporate decision makers, you know, so how many nonprofits do you work with? Do you work with one or more? And most of them said we work with more. Mm-hmm. And then we asked, well, so what what, what triggers that decision to select an additional partner? And they said the creativity of the idea. You know, oh. if it's a good idea, oh. you know, if it's a good idea that someone yeah. comes to me, then I'm going to find a way to make that work. So what I would suggest to my clients and what I do suggest is, you know, no harm in asking. You know, the answer is, as my dad used to say, the answer is always no unless you ask. And so you mm-hmm. need to, you need to, you know, keep your confidence up and ask. And then you need to listen carefully and realize you might not close that deal in this 12-month cycle, but maybe you can spark some right. interest and, and keep that relationship going and work it into the following year's budget cycle when they have more of a runway for planning. Right. And, and, you know, in Molly, don't you think it's so true that a lot of instances when you do get kind of a tentative no or a maybe from a corporate prospect is the next step is you have to figure out how do you stay on these people's radar screen? How do you continue to make the case in a positive way? And I think what most nonprofits do, Molly, is they give up. Yeah. And they say, well, that's not, that's not a good prospect anymore. It's like, no, if all the things that you went to for, with that company were, uh, were good ideas, they're still a good prospect. They're just not ready to say yes. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, another really important factor about that is that, you know, things change. And so what may have been a no one year could become a yes, depending on how their objectives change. And also, if their staff changes because, you know, oh, they, they don't, ha- yeah. you know, the, the same person doesn't stay in place forever and ever. I mean, I had a situation back in, in my previous world with um, the Arthritis Foundation when I worked for them and we were working with an over-the-counter um, 
analgesic, <laughs> which I won't name. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, we had this fabulous program that was delivering on all the objectives. And then a new brand manager came in and guess what? He wanted his thumbprint, his idea. It didn't matter what the old idea, how great it was. He didn't want it because that was the predecessor's right. idea. And that stuff happens all the time. So you have to stay, you have to stay on top of it. And then one other story, I don't mean to beat, you know, beat the point to death, but no, you know, please. one other story, yeah. we have um, a, a nonprofit that we're working with. And again, I don't think it's appropriate to, to say specifics, but I'll just say that it's a small nonprofit that's relatively new to the sponsorship space. And the first year we were representing them, we reached out to over a hundred prospects and we introduced them to 90 of the hundred. I mean, in other words, 90 of them were cold and and the other 10 had heard of them before. And when we went back around the next year, you know, at, in time for planning, they said, oh, yeah, I remember our call last year. You know, I, I remember you mm-hmm. taught me this. Well, let's talk about, you know, and so it changed. The conversation changed because it was no longer a completely foreign concept. It was like, oh, yeah, we talked about that last year. So you have to stay on top of it. Right. You really do. Yeah, and you have to remember, too, as I always say, persuasion is one incremental and persuasion occurs through identification. So, you know, as these people get to know you, you have a better chance of securing a partnership with them. But again, it's it's continued baby steps. And, you know, I love what you said, too, Molly, about the creativity of the idea. And I think that's so important. I mean, a few weeks ago, we heard from Walgreens talking about Red Nose Day. And, you know, that was just like a creative, interesting idea. And they really clung on to that because it was like something different. Of course, it helped that the CEO came from the UK and was obviously very familiar with Red Nose Day. But it, I have to say that if I think that program was pinups or something else, a little a donation boxes at the register, that that wouldn't have been as appealing to them as selling Red Noses. Yeah. Uh, so they really like the creativity factor. And, you know, Walgreens too, and, and we all know this too, Walgreens is typically very tough uh, for cause marketing. Even now, they only do one, uh, you know, uh, point of sale program at the register, and that's for the, for the uh, Red Nose Day. Really, I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. They they have yeah. really. Policy they really, yeah. They really yeah. pivoted quite a bit. I don't know that they're the exclusive yeah. point of sale, but they definitely have paired it way back from what they used to do. But um, I think we have yeah, time for I one more finding. Yeah. Um, and okay. one of the things you asked that I'm so glad you asked is about guaranteed minimums because we get this question all the time. Do you require mm. a guaranteed minimum? Yep. So what did you find out? I, I want to know first if what you thought people were going to say, and then what people said. Um, okay, so this is another one that, that it did not come out the way I thought it would come out. <laughs> so that's why it's always good to to ask a broader mm. group of people than just yourself, right? <laughs> so, um, so I, you know, I think there's this perception that, you know, most nonprofits require minimum, you know, that, you know, we're not going to work with you until we achieve some certain level of giving. And what we found actually is that it's much, much closer to 50-50 than I thought. Hmm. So the the answer the answer was do you have a guaranteed minimum and the yes was 54% and no was 46%. Hmm. So then we dug, we dug hmm. a level deeper, of course, and we said okay, so if it's yes, what is your required minimum? And you know, we hear all hmm. these stories of oh, you know, this great big nonprofit, they won't work for anyone for less than a million dollars or you know, they won't work with anyone for less than $250,000. And what we found is that actually, um, of those who have a minimum, 50% of them, actually 51% of them, set it below $75,000. 
So, wow. you know, mm. again, the majority, it, yeah. And then a, a, a big factor, I think, is it's only 11%, but I think it's indicative of where the answer was. It just depends. Yeah. So what that tells me yeah. is that there's no hard and fast rule that no matter what, we, we have this minimum. I think it's more of, you know, a minimum u- as is used an, as a negotiations tactic, right, to – to mm-hmm. yep. people to you know get your corporate partner into um, different types of, yep. of partnerships with you. So maybe you're going to require yep. you know a minimum for this particular type of activity, and if you can't commit to a minimum, then we're going to shift you over to this other type of activity. It's interesting, Molly. When when I was doing cause marketing programs in the nonprofit world, a lot of times it was obviously much easier to get a commitment or a minimum from someone that you knew, an existing partner that was really interested in your success. And they would say, Hey, you know, what, whatever happens, Joe, I'm going to guarantee that you guys get this much amount of money. Whereas when we started reaching out to newer partners, it definitely was part of the negotiation, but it was definitely more difficult, uh, to get that, um, you know, that, uh, that minimum in place. One way that we did to address it though, Molly, was we, a lot of times we would tie our cost marketing into sponsorship opportunities. Mm -hmm. So in tying it into a physical sponsorship, we would set a goal for them and say, look, if you want this particular sponsorship with our organization, this is an additional premium. You have to hit this amount. Yes. So it was definitely, as opposed to a minimum, it was more like a goal that they would have if they wanted these extra perks. Um, and that, tr- that proved to be kind of motivating to people. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think also um, those savvy corporations have learned that that minimum actually becomes quite a powerful marketing tool. So, you know, we're, mm, we're going agree. to partner with this nonprofit and we're going to guarantee that they're going to get at least this amount of money. Right. You know, and that kind of cuts off at the knees the opinion of, oh, well, they're just collecting dollars from yep. their consumers or whatever. They're, you know, it shows that they're putting their money where their mouth is, too, that they're going to make sure that the nonprofit is whole to this particular amount. So I think it can be a really savvy marketing message as well. Well, this is so you have so much great information in this study and we've just scratched the surface I feel this is why I know. she's so she's very popular, popular. She's every very time popular. she comes on the show that's why, she's, that's why she's been on Cause Talk Radio like 10 because times she, now but. <laughs> she's the most popular person that we've had that's on right. the show but, and so the Molly where can people well, find this, the survey and learn about for Momentum and all of the great content that you produce some of which Joe helps produce as well on the blog well you know there I was going to say there is this guy over there these posts. And he has actually got a fantastic new post called How to Pitch a Cost Marketing Program to the Thinker. I love that post, Joe. You did a great maker. job with that. I, and it would, I, well, whoever did it, I mean, he was. <laughs> you say so yourself. Just say that, so. <laughs> well, we, um, we actually, um, Megan, I want to point out that we have this study and a whole bunch of other free resources on our website, actually. So one of the, you know, sort of the mission points of my agency, Form Momentum, is that we believe in paying it forward and really helping nonprofits um, and corporations learn how to work more effectively together. That's what we're all about. Um, So we have this section where you can go and download our cause marketing resources. And within the cause marketing resources, you'll find um, a couple different sections. We have a cause library. Um, We have some um, downloadable studies that we've talked about here today. We have a glossary of terms. We have some key statistics where we've, you know, culled through a lot of the research in the marketplace and brought out some of the key highlights for those people who don't have time to to read the full study and figure it out. <laughs> so we try to help make that easy. And then we have our blog 
Yeah, we'll put yeah. that. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes too, Molly, so people can find it. And just so if you're listening and you want to go there right now, it's right along the navigation bar too. It says Cause Marketing Resources. Very Excellent. easy. Yeah, and it's for momentum. F O R momentum.com. Excellent. And we will put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you so much. Joe, how about you? Where can people Thank find you. you online? Well, when I'm not writing for Full Momentum, I write on my own blog occasionally, selfishgiving.com, where all these great shows are archived. Uh, people can find me minute to minute talking to Molly and to Megan on Twitter at Joe Waters. And of course, we have lots of cause marketing pins and a couple boards that are actually sponsored by Full Momentum on Pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter occasionally at Megan Strand and I tweet for the Cause Marketing Forum at TweetCMF. And you can find show notes for today's show and past shows at CauseUpdate.com as well as SelfishGiving.com. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or get it on Google Play. And if you're so inclined, drop us a note, leave us a review. We want to know what you think about this and other episodes. We would love it. So on behalf of Molly and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio. And we'll talk to you next time.